All right, so we are on mystery number two, and we're going to be talking about Christ in you. Now, we talked a little bit about uh, the mystery of godliness last time we hit this, and we talked about God becoming a man, and now we're going to be spending time talking about what happens at the point of salvation. Now, the reason why we want to go through this is, number one, it's a mystery that God has told us to be a steward of, and it's going to be part of your judgment seat. If you're born again, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. And part of your stewardship evaluation from the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be this mystery. So you need to know it. That's a number one reason that's really, really good. A second reason why you need to know this is because there are so many people that have no idea what salvation actually means and what happens at the moment of salvation. I mean, it's all over the place. you got people that are believing that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. You have people that, that believe that you have to speak in tongues as evidence of being saved. Um, I mean, and we could just go down the list. We could probably name at least at least 20 different things that people believe about salvation that is just completely off base. So you need to know, and some of you might know, but you need to also know how to defend yourself in these sorts of discussions that you might have with people. So along with that, the third reason why we're going to cover this one is because when you really grasp this mystery, like deep down, when you really grasp this mystery you will sin a whole lot less. And maybe the reason why you struggle with the sins you struggle with is because you really do not understand this mystery. So there's several reasons why we want to talk about this. And so those are just a few off the top of my head as I've been thinking about uh, this message. All right, so Colossians 1, 27. <clears throat> Go to Colossians chapter 1. 27 is going to be our, our core verse that we're going to be focusing on. But we're going to look at the verses surrounding it as well just to get a little bit more details, but Colossians, Colossians, that would be in your New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, <clears throat> all right, so the top of your study sheet, we got our headline verse, so we're going to fill in the blank there, <clears throat> Colossians 1, 27, and it says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. <clears throat> this is one of those mysteries that, frankly, when you really start to study it and see what the scriptures have to say about it, it blows your mind. Like, this is one of those mysteries that if this is boring to you, there's something dead inside. This is one of those things that when I forget about how much God loves me, I go back and I revisit these truths and it just ignites a fire back in my heart again. Because it shows me how much God cares about me and how much he loves me and how much I should love him in return. So we're going to be talking about the miracle of salvation, this whole process where Christ literally moves inside. So talking about salvation and even talking about when we, when we talked about giving the gospel, and that was part of our lesson last week when we talked about you should be able to give the gospel to somebody. Well, if you don't, maybe you didn't do what I asked you to do and write out the gospel. I don't know if you did or not. But if you didn't, or maybe you had a hard time doing it, or if you think through your head how to share the gospel with somebody, this part of the lesson is going to be perfect for you. Okay, so first of all, our problem. Colossians 1, take a look at verse 21. 21. Colossians 1, 21, it says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind 
by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. So really, right, right out of the gate, this verse tells us the problem that we have. And our problem is our unrighteousness. And that's your blank there too. Our unrighteousness. So your problem that you have between you and God is the fact that you are completely and totally unrighteous. And if that's news to you, welcome. But it shouldn't be news to anybody. Just take an honest look at your life over the course of the last week and you should know and you should be able to see that we are unrighteous. How many of you lived a 100% perfect, sinless life this past week? Anybody? <laughs> Jack. Now you just lied about it. Tonight. <laughs> it didn't work out. None of us have. So we are completely unrighteous. And so this is important for us to understand. And this is also the hard part when it comes to communicating with people. Because we don't want to offend people. We don't want to... I mean, in a way, we're kind of exposing people in their sin and unrighteousness. And people don't like that. I mean, do you like it? Do you like when someone comes up to you and says, Hey, you made a mistake. (laughs) Or, you hurt my feelings. Or maybe some of you don't care about that. I don't know. Um... But they come up to you and you did something absolutely wrong and they point it out and everybody else sees it. How many of you, oh yes, I love that. I love when, again, Jack, you're just weird. Okay, Um, which we already knew, I guess, so it's all right. So no, none of us likes that, especially publicly. Like, I don't want to make a mistake that's going to make me look bad in front of other people. Am I the only one? Okay, all right, yeah, okay. Everyone's like, (laughs) (laughs) all right, all right, sounds good. I can make myself look back in front of you and you don't care. Okay. So no, none of us like this, but yet this is absolutely the case. And so let's look at a few verses that really lay this out for us very, very well. These are some of my go-to verses that I use. Um, And let's have some people read. So give me one reader. All right, Isaiah 59, 2, Isaiah uh, 60, or yeah, Isaiah 64, 6, Um, Job 14, 4. Jeremiah 17, 9, and 10. Um, let's do... Mm, all right, let's just keep going. I'm going to get different readers. All right, Ezekiel 18, 4. <clears throat> okay, you get that one? You can do Ezekiel 18, 20. You can do that one. Um, everybody go to Romans 5, who doesn't want to read. And then I'll get uh, just one, two, three more readers. All right, you can do Ephesians 2, 2, and 3. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8. Revelation 20.15. Who wants that one? Get that one. Okay, Revelation 20.15. All right. So everybody else go to the book of Romans. <clears throat> and we'll be kicking it off, it looks like, in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. Okay. So our unrighteousness. All right, Isaiah 59.2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not Okay, I love this verse because it clearly says your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Sin always causes a division. It always causes a separation. And so when it comes to you, you and God, when you sin, there is a division. But this is also true with the people in your life. Think about your parents. Think about your friends. Think about other relationships you might have. When you sin against that person, it always causes a separation and a division. Always. Always. And then after that offense takes place, what do you have to do to bridge that gap? Repent. What else do you need to do? You need to have a change of mind for sure. But then you have to go to that person and... 
Apologize. You need to make it right. People don't know how to make it right with God. Because when you sin against God, the gap is so wide that you actually can't make it right on your own. It's not possible. And that's what Isaiah 64, 6 says. Who has that one? Go ahead and read it. <clears throat> Okay, we are all as an unclean thing. And it says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. So even when, like, okay, let's say you have a person that has been, they've offended God and they've done what's wrong in the sight of God. They can acknowledge that and they can even say, God, I'm sorry. I, I, I shouldn't have done that. Forgive me for that sin. Okay, that still doesn't cut it. You can be sorry about it and you can even ask God for forgiveness about it, but that still doesn't take away the consequence of your sin problem. Right? Now, once you're in God's family, I mean, that reconciles it, but you're still going to have consequences for your bad choices. But we're talking about on an internal perspective. This is why Christ needed to die for us. This is why it's, it's why it's needed. And we'll talk about that in our next point. But it's just not enough. Like when you sin against God, just because you go back and you apologize for it doesn't necessarily make it right. There's still a reconciliation process that needs to take place. Job 14.4. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Okay. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. No, nothing. Nothing. Can you take a jug of milk that has been spoiled and somehow out of it pull out milk that is not spoiled for your cereal in the morning. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. Can you take a cup that you're going to be using to get water, maybe when you first get up in the morning or maybe for lunch or whatever, and you accidentally drop it into the toilet and then you pull it out and you're like <laughs> and then use it and it's going to be no, you can't do that. And so this is, this is what boggles my mind about people and about religion and about God is that we are thoroughly corrupt. Like James 2.10 says, if you've offended in one point the law, you've offended it all. If you've broken one part of the law, you've broken the whole thing. And so if that's the case, then once you sin the first time, then you are completely tainted. How can anyone think that they can have favor with God, that God would allow them into his presence when they are full of sin. Like you can't, you can't pull anything out of you that says, all right, God, here's the reason why you should let me in. Right? Okay, so it's not possible. And this is why the gospel is so important for people to understand that we are separated because of our sin. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. You cannot make yourself clean. You can't take something that is unclean and then all of a sudden say, ta-da, it's not clean. It doesn't work that way. So we have a huge, huge problem. Ezekiel 18.4. Behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the father, so also as the soul of the son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Verse 20, go ahead and read that one. Okay, so the soul that sinneth, it shall die. 
And then it says very specifically that you're not going to pay for the sins of your fathers. And they're not going to pay the sins of their children. You're going to pay for your own sins. So we've got a huge, huge issue. And so as you kind of consider all that, this is why it's going to take us to Romans chapter 5. And verse 12, where this even came from. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So sin is inherent. It's something that's passed down from generation to generation. People that believe that babies are innocent are liars. It is not true. Babies are some of the most selfish human beings I've ever met in my entire life. They are. I love them. They're adorable. But man, they are evil. <laughs> I have. I mean, I'm in the constant process right now with my own children of either um, disciplining or explaining or, um, you know, even spanking the evil out of my children. I'm trying to teach them how to be righteous and what it means to be righteous. I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, every, every week there's something that unfolds between my kids where they prove to me, yeah, they're evil. They're evil. And I need to teach them why that's a problem and who they need to go to and how to live right. So people that believe the otherwise are just completely psycho. All right. And then go to chapter three, go to chapter three of Romans. Verse 10, <clears throat> in case it wasn't clear already, verse 10 should make it clear. So I'm going to read that one. Go ahead, no. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There you go. There's none. And then go to verse 23 of that same chapter. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All would include... Um, uh, Paul. Paul. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Paul? Oh, yeah, all. Everyone. Everyone. Paul and Saul. And y'all. Okay. It includes everyone. So, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, there's not one person that's exempt. There's not one person that's in this situation where they're like, oh, nope, I'm the exception. Nope. Everyone has sinned and they've all come short of the glory of God. And then, as a result, which we already read in Ezekiel, look at chapter 6 and verse 23 of Romans. Which some of you should have this memorized. Who wants to quote this one? Romans 6.23. For the wages... Go ahead, Garrett. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Okay. For the wages of sin is death. But, and I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful for the Bible's butts. (laughs) I am. I got it. I am. Did you get that? Uh, All right. I'm very thankful because even though we deserve death, God still loves us and provides a way for us to be redeemed. And I love that about our God. So let's listen to these verses here. Ephesians 2, 2 and 3. Yep, so we're children of wrath outside of God's care in his gospel. And then listen to 2 Thessalonians 1.8, because people that do not repent and they don't trust in Christ as their Savior, this is what's going to happen to them. Go ahead, 2 Thessalonians 1.8, whoever has it. Um, and fl- flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the... He, 
um, possible of and had obey him when not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Perfect. In flaming fire, taking vengeance upon them that know not God. We shouldn't want that on anyone. And maybe there's someone here today they are like, you know what? I don't want that on me. And God's convicting you because you haven't been made right with the Lord. Because you got that one, flaming fire, where he's going to take vengeance on them that know, know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, lastly, Revelation twenty fifteen. Whoever has that one, read that one. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay, so if you're not written in the book of life, you will be cast into the lake of fire. And that will be the final judgment that forever and ever and ever and ever you're going to be in the lake of fire. I mean, if you do not have a heart for someone in that context, this is where I mean that you are dead inside. Like, when you think about a person, I don't care who it is. Like, think about somebody right now that you might be upset at or that you're ticked off at. Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand, but are you thinking of that person? Democrats. (laughs) Nancy Pelosi. All right. All right. Okay. Now, think about it for a second. I mean, think about whoever that might be. Think about... Like, when I think back and I think about people that are just straight-up evil, I mean, people automatically go to Hitler. Hitler. Yep. They go to, they go to Stalin. They go to... Who? Hillary Clinton. <laughs> okay. All right, moving on. All right. So, they go to all these people, but here, here's, the, here's the thing, okay? All right, think for a second. Hitler, evil. Stalin, evil. You can think of other evil dictators, evil, evil people. Um... I mean, even think about a guy like Osama bin Laden, all right? You think of guys like that who are actually dead and, and they were killed and you're like, oh, that was, that was justice or whatever. Okay, but think for a second. The moment that that person died, like think about Hitler, all right? The moment he supposedly, whether it's true or not, conspiracy theorists, you know, they argue, he killed himself. <clears throat> if he pulled out that gun and he shot himself, the next moment he woke up in hell. And he is still there. And then the Bible explains that when time is over, hell gives up the dead which are in them, and they all stand before the great white throne judgment, Jesus sitting on the throne. They're going to work down through the line, through the book, and they're going to be looking for that name. And if that person's name is not found written in the, in the book of life, they are then going to be cast into, thrown into a lake of fire. And you thought that hell was bad. Hell itself is thrown into the lake of fire. And so that person is going to be in this lake of fire, burning with fire, brimstone, where they will be constantly, constantly on fire, pain all over their body without end, and they will never die. And that will be their resting place for all eternity. Like, it will never stop, and they will never die. If that does not move your heart towards people, you're dead. There's something wrong inside of you. I mean, Jesus talks about how, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when he comes again. And when you think about that, in that context, Jesus also said... Because sin abounds, the love of many wax cold. When sin abounds in your life, 
and you just let it go unchecked and you do whatever you want, your love for people, especially even, even in your immediate family, your love of people will wax cold. And so the reason why we are dead inside sometimes towards people and very numb about these things is because of our sin. Because we just let it go and we don't do anything about it. And then it affects the way we see people and our circumstances and, and everything, everything. Because we're being so self-centered and self-focused that we don't have time to look at other people because of our own sin. So this is a huge problem. This is a huge problem. And I am so glad that God gave a solution. I'm so glad that he gave a solution. And probably the, the best verses that I can use for this one would be in Romans itself, already in Romans. And uh, take a look at chapter, um, let's see here. Chapter 3 gives it probably the, the greatest detail. Right in that same context of verse 23. <clears throat> Romans 3, verse 19. We'll just work through this really slow. It can be kind of confusing because of how he words things in the book of Romans. But whenever that happens and you're reading the Bible and things, be, they just start to get a little bit confusing, just slow down, go back and reread it again. Take what you understand and then slow down. Okay, you know what? I'm kind of confused. Okay, stop, go back to where you did understand and then just slowly keep working your way down. Verse 19. Now we know that what so, so thing, now we know what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. See, God wants to bring everyone to a point where they understand that they are guilty in order for them to be able to do something about it. Verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus." Right here, out of, the, out of the gate, from verse 21, I mean, look at this. But now, the righteousness of God. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God. At verse 20, uh, let's see here, 25, that you, to declare his righteousness. Verse 26, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. See, what we need is God's righteousness. Our problem is our unrighteousness. God's solution is his righteousness. That's your other blank there. His righteousness. That's what we need. Because you and I cannot produce righteousness on our own. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. You, you cannot create enough righteousness inside of yourself to justify yourself before God. It's not possible. You can't bring something clean out of a thing that is unclean. The Bible already established that. And so what people need is the righteousness of God. And here, very clearly, from verse 21 all the way down through verse 26, it explains very very, very clearly that it is through faith in Jesus Christ. It is through faith in his blood. It is through him. It is through him alone. What Christ did for you and I upon the cross, when a person believes that and they receive that, God gives them his righteousness. So you do not have favor with God today because of your obedience. 
You do not have favor with God today because you read your Bible this week. You do not have favor with God because you witnessed to somebody this past week. You do not have favor with God because you're here on a Sunday morning. This is something that we tend to believe. We tend to believe that because we go to church, because we do good things or we do godly things, that somehow we are in a better standing with God. Nope. Nope. Not at all. That is called religion. That is what, uh, I mean, false Christian churches have done for years. Um, and they do it and they make people feel guilty about not coming to church or not being involved with church because they believe that somehow they tie, well, you know, if you don't come to church, well then, you know, you can go to hell. Oh, well, you know, if you don't obey, well then you could lose your salvation. Well, if you don't do this or that or whatever, then you could end up, and this is where it all comes from. It stems from our human nature to want to do these sorts of things. And so here the Bible says very clearly that you need his righteousness. The only reason, the only reason, the only single reason you can stand before God with any shred of confidence whatsoever is because of what Jesus Christ did for you. That's it. That's it. That's all we have. And that's all we need. The things that we do after are to bless God. That's what it's for. So I hope that you see this in a different light because that's what people need. That's what they need. And so whenever you go and you do something that's good, like, okay, let's say you have a good testimony and you make sound decisions or maybe you end up getting good grades or you end up, you know, having an opportunity to witness somebody. Why do we do those things? We do those things to get people to a point where they can see God's righteousness. That's it. That's the only reason why we do it. We don't do it because that's what Christians are supposed to do. We don't do it because you're supposed to look good. No, We do good things to lead people to the righteousness of God, which is what they need. That's what we're supposed to do. Christians get this completely backwards. Don't get it backwards today. So that is the miracle of salvation. We have a huge problem, but God gave a solution. I am so thankful. Now, let's talk about the reality of Christ in you. Because this is the other part that is just, I mean, hugely important. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And look up these scriptures later. We don't have time to go through them all because there's something I want to get to here in a little bit. But I want to try to get through this. And there's a couple of videos I wanted to show you that are kind of funny, but should illustrate some good points. Okay. So when a person becomes saved, God takes up residence. God takes up residence in the born again believer. And Ephesians 1, 13 through 15 is the clearest place in your Bible that actually shows you that that's what happens. So when a person comes to a place where they understand my righteousness is not going to cut it, I am doomed. If I were to die today, I would go to hell and I would stand before God afterward and my name would not be in the book of life and I'd be thrown into the lake of fire. I need a savior. And they humble themselves and they call upon the Lord to save them, as it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10 and verse 13. When they do that, they admit they're a sinner, they need a Savior, they call upon Him to save him, save them. Then this is what happens. Ephesians 1, verse 13. In whom ye, talking about Jesus, also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So you hear the gospel. In whom also after that ye believed, so you believed the gospel, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So... 13 describes it 
completely everything you need to know about what happens to salvation. You hear the truth, then you choose to believe the truth, and then God sends his spirit and it permanently goes inside of you and stays with you for all eternity. It says it seals you until the day of redemption. So it says in verse 14. So this is what happens at the moment of salvation. Now, the reality behind this is, it's just think about this for a second. If you're born again today, so I want you to think to yourself, are you born again? And if you are, mentally in your head, you can say yes. If you're unsure, well, then you've got some other things to work out. But if you can confidently say, yes, I know that I am born again today. Okay. Then the moment that you trusted Christ as your savior and you called upon him, the spirit of God came inside and literally resurrected your dead spirit and not just resurrected it, but joined unto it. And that's the picture of marriage, which is why Ephesians 5 talks about Christ in the church, husband and wife, same thing. Is that his spirit came in, and your dead spirit, and he brought it alive, and now is united, permanently united, where now it's one spirit. So your dead spirit is now one with God's spirit. So you can't, you can't take that apart. It's now one spirit inside of you. Everywhere you go, everything you think, everything you do, every part of your life, he's now there and he's involved in every step, everything. Whether you like it or not, he's there. And some of you, that's a great sense of comfort. And others of you, it's a great sense of fear. And the difference is your obedience or your disobedience. I used to be very, very afraid of it. Now I look at it as... (laughs) God is always with me. And I'm so thankful because no matter what's going on in my life, no matter how I feel, no matter how hard it is, no matter how good it is, he's with me every step of the way and he's never going to leave. And I love that. I love that. But there was a time where I was very afraid because I wasn't living right. I wasn't making good decisions and I wasn't doing what was pleasing in his sight. And I was constantly grieved on the inside. And there's a good chance that that part of me that was grieved was actually him. United with my dead spirit, and he's grieved because you're like, oh, you're making that decision again? Oh, I've talked to you about this. Why do you keep putting, putting us through this? Because this is not my will for you. That's like the spirit of God inside of you. That's what we're doing to him. So when you really understand that, man, it changes everything. It changes everything. Just imagine for a week all the decisions that would be different because you understand that clearly. It'd be amazing. All right, go to the back side of your page. So you need to chew on that one. I wanted to give that one more time, but you need to chew on that one because that one is itch, itch. Yes. Residence, yeah, residence. God takes up residence in the born-again believer. All right. So since he's inside of you, I wanted to include this list because this is kind of cool. The Holy Ghost is also referred to as the Spirit of God. So you have the Spirit of God in you. You have the Spirit of Christ in you. You have the Spirit of truth in you. So you do know what's true. You're just not willing to actually listen to it. The Spirit of grace. So you are able to be gracious to people. You might struggle with that, but he is the Spirit of grace. He is the Spirit of glory. He brings glory to God the Father, and you should too. He is the Spirit of life. You should see new things popping up in your life that weren't there before. He is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You should be able to understand the deeper things of God at some point in your life as you keep walking and growing with him. He's the spirit of promise, which should give you great assurance about your eternity. 
He's a spirit of adoption, which gives you a great sense of just completion because you are in God's family and you belong. The spirit of faith, so that when things are just very, very difficult, that you can believe God over your own feelings and emotions. The eternal spirit that's going to save you for all eternity. The comforter, so that when you're going through things that are very difficult, he can comfort you. The spirit of intercession, that he's praying, and you should be praying as well. And the spirit of holiness. Your life should be more and more holy just because the spirit of God is inside of you. So those are just some things that you can see that should be practical things that should be unfolding in your life because of the spirit of God. And God's gift of his own spirit is just the down payment of the riches of his glory, which, man, I tell you what, might be hard for you to understand now, but that's one when you really think about it. That is amazing because God gave himself and it's just the down payment of what he wants to do in us in an eternity future. And then lastly, we are going to produce fruit. Therefore, we will produce fruit unto God's glory, to the glory of God. And go back to Colossians 1 for this one. Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Again, please read these verses when you get a chance, but I want to just cap it off with this last part in Colossians. So, verse 27. Our theme verse, hitting right into these last two verses. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, when you really get that, then 28 and 29 makes perfect sense. Whom, talking about that Christ, that that Savior, that Messiah, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. See, it's the only the Spirit of God that can actually do that. When you walk with God and you really grasp this mystery, what it does inside of you is it gives you the power and the ability to go out there and to have a heart in order to warn people, to teach them, and to try to lead them to a point where they can be perfect in Christ Jesus. It is my heart's desire that every single one of you in this room Number one, that you get saved, and if you're not willing to get saved, that you are warned properly, and that you are obedient, and if you are not going to be obedient, you are going to be warned properly. Number two, I want you to learn wisdom. I want you to understand life. I want you to understand how to make good decisions. This is why we're doing stuff like this. I want you to be able to live righteously. And number three, I want you to be perfect. I want you to, I mean, that is my heart's desire for every single one of you in this room is I want you to be perfect. I want you to be strong. I want you to walk with God. I want you to be with him. I want you to be fruitful. I want the rest of your life to be just full of things that bring God glory. That's what I want. Now, the reality is, is it going to happen? Unfortunately not. And I know that. But I believe it doesn't have to be that way. And I can see it not being that way. And it is unbelievably exciting. The issue is, is that you guys don't see it. Whether it's something that is just a sin issue in your life that's blinding you right now that you feel like you can't let go of or that you don't want to let go of. We are in a constant wrestling match with God where we limit him all the time with what he can actually do in and through us. But... Part of my job is to walk with him so that way that God gives me vision and understanding as far as your lives are concerned, to see where you are and to help you and to correct you when needed and to love you in the process, 
to get you to a place where you're actually supposed to be. So that's the mystery. And when you understand the mystery, you'll be able to see these things in yourself and you'll be able to see these things in other people. And we'll actually really excite you to get to work in your own heart and in other people's lives because you can see what can, what can happen in their life. I mean, just imagine someone who's on their way to hell and you have the opportunity to interrupt them and see them redeemed and actually walk with God. There are people that are saved today that I never thought in a million years would be saved. So you need to think about that. You need to have a little bit of vision. All right. So while you're in the process of that, I wanted to show you this is what not to do. So don't do that. That would not be good. That would not be good. But still having a heart for people, all right? Because you really need to get this. If you really understand this, you will have a heart for people, and you will appropriately (laughs) evangelize them or even just invite them to church. Because I know of some people that have been afraid to evangelize, but they just invite someone to church, and then things change. 
My point is, is do something. Just do something. Have a heart for someone. Even if that heart is for yourself to get right with God, do something. Because I think a lot of us are just wasting a whole lot of time that we shouldn't be wasting. All right, let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for this mystery. I pray, Lord, that we would really grab a hold of this and believe it and cherish it and do something about it. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your son. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.